Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Meslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. So I'm excited to announce this new sponsor, and this one is for people like me who may be curious about your levels of certain nutrients and minerals. We know on a carnivore diet that the requirements for certain minerals and nutrients are different than the recommended daily amounts, and we also know that we aren't getting as much of certain minerals and nutrients. So how can you know if you're getting enough, and more importantly, if you're absorbing those things? If you're taking, for instance, vitamin D or magnesium, You may want to know whether the supplement is actually doing anything, or you may just want to know how much of certain vitamins you're getting through your food. So what's one way to accurately test all of this? In this case, I'm talking about Upgraded Formulas, Upgraded Hair Test Kit, and their consultation. And I had Barton Scott on, the founder of Upgraded Formulas, to talk about this. He's fantastic. And their minerals can really help you absorb things that can vanquish those hidden deficiencies that may be affecting your thyroid, your adrenal, or other things. So check out the test and consultation at UpgradedFormulas.com and save 15% on your first purchase with the code CARNIVORE15 at checkout. Thanks and enjoy the show. Dr. Eli Jarouge at Eli Jarouge underscore Jarouge on Instagram is a metabolic doctor who focuses on helping people reverse and overcome type 2 diabetes. Several years ago, Dr. Jarouge ended up with high blood pressure and prediabetes following conventional medical advice. He pursued knowledge to improve and reclaim his own health by questioning everything he learned. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Scott, for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, I'd love to to get a little bit more into you know, what I talked about in your bio, um, you know, how did you get to this place of questioning conventional medical advice and how did you get sick in the first place? Uh, of course, it's a, it's a long journey that I never meant to take. Uh, I just ended up here by uh, pure, uh, I guess, trial and error over time. So I'm, uh, I've always wanted to be a doctor. So I was uh, conventionally trained. I went to college and medical school. I went to residency training and uh, subspecialty training. And I was a hospital doctor for uh, nine years uh, where I took care of, you know, traditional patients coming in with all kinds of problems. Um, At the same time, I was starting, I had gained weight uh, over the years of training and eating mostly terrible food and not thinking about it. Uh, I gained 35 pounds. I had high blood pressure and I developed prediabetes over the years. But what got me to start doing something different was the back pain. I kept having a lot of chronic back pain, but at, on top of it, I would have episodes of uh, throwing out my back with minimal activities and it takes me weeks to recover. Um, and it didn't matter if I did physical therapy or went to the gym, you know, it doesn't take much to hurt, to hurt myself. Um, and so I started diving into trying to eat differently, trying to get my, my, myself in a better health, not thinking of it work or not. At the time, um, the Whole30 program was uh, popular, uh, still popular, but you know, pale, it was basically paleo uh, with psychology of food. So I started eating cleaner. And during a month or two of doing this, I lost initially 15 pounds and felt amazing. My back pain was great. 
Um, and up to that point, I never questioned anything. I just thought whatever I'm told is the truth about diet and nutrition. And then it, food doesn't really matter. You really have to, uh, you know, it's your luck, your genetics and all that stuff. Because um, I had a high blood pressure in the family. My, my dad has high blood pressure. So I thought it was, I was just destined to. Um, so that, and then over the, uh, for, you know, four years after that, I went from doing whole 30 to paleo to eventually dive into ketogenic diet and carnivore diet, uh, with periods in between where I may slack off or stop doing it and my back pain will come back. So I kind of, uh, I became convinced that lifestyle is making me better and not just chance. Um, and that's how I got into, uh, listening to podcasts and books and learning about this. Uh, then after a few couple of years, I became, um, I just couldn't just give traditional advice to patients in the hospital. So I would treat them, but most of them have diabetes and obesity and heart disease. Uh, and I felt inclined to always educate them and teach them about lifestyle. And that's how I started slowly shifting naturally to, uh, getting on social media and to Twitter and Instagram and, uh, started coaching people and kind of took a life of its own and eventually transitioned completely to uh, coaching and doing this line of work. That's fascinating. And what are some of the sources that were most influential on you um, as you, you started to change your own, your own diet and, and what you ultimately recommend for um, your clients? Um, at the time, I mean, I, I wasn't following any particular path. I just stumbled upon people. But uh, Jason Fung was one of the first, uh, and Gary Tobbs. Uh, their work has has been crucial in their books. Obesity Code I, is a book that I recommend for everybody who's trying to lose weight to kind of understand uh, in, in more simpler term what's going on. Um, you know, so I follow a lot of accounts on on social media. Uh, in the you know low carb MD podcast, there's a lot of you know Sean Baker, um, you know a lot of uh, good podcasts uh, out there from the sciencey stuff like the Peter Tia to uh, the day to day uh, experiences low carb MD and uh, everything in between. Um, so I usually tell people to just start with reading a little bit, but not get too much into the weeds of things because they get stuck in overthinking and. Uh, paralysis and never take uh, any steps. So try to simplify it for them. Yeah, that's fantastic. And one of the things I really like about your content is you talk a lot about simplification um, and making things sustainable. You talk about some of the ways um, you think people get bogged down in complexity and um, how making small changes can work. Yeah, I mean, you, you go to doctors and they scare the heck out of you because they... Uh, May, everything may be fine, but they, then they scare you about cholesterol or meat or uh, they scare you about anything that is really supposed to be a real natural food. Then you, you get encouraged to eat the opposite and people follow the advice and they find themselves in worse health and they wonder what's wrong with them. Uh, so my, my first uh, advice to people always is like, whatever you're doing right now is not working. That's why you don't feel good. So start there. Start that. Okay, you got to change what you're doing. And then think more common sense, uh, right? The food that humans ate for thousands and millions of years cannot be really bad for us all of a sudden. So something can change in the food environment. 
And then let's start there. Let's simplify. Let's go back to the basics. Eat your, uh, you know, real food, uh, meat and vegetables and whatever fruit you want to eat. But then uh, eliminate junk food, eliminate highly processed food. That's probably part of the problem. And I always tell people it's more important what you stop eating rather than what you start eating. And then uh, and, and go from there, just build on it, you know, remove the junk and start eating uh, real food and then make changes on the go. You know, you don't have to have a biochemistry degree or understand everything about cholesterol and how the body works to make changes, uh, you know, experiment and uh, go with it. Yeah, that's great advice. And um, what has caused you to focus so much on type two diabetes or, or really trying to help people with that? Like, obviously it's affecting very large portions of our population. And it's one of the most common uh, metabolic conditions, but I guess what, what has drawn you to that? Yeah. Uh, well, I want, I, I cannot focus on every aspect of uh, chronic diseases. So I wanted to have the widest uh, uh, net uh, out there. And if I, when I cover obesity and type two diabetes, I'm usually capturing a lot of other diseases in the process and helping the most uh, people uh, so, uh, and also of my experience in traditional medicine, being in the hospital, I'm very familiar with diabetes and obesity and their complications, uh, over the years, you know, from, you know, strokes and heart attacks and, uh, losing limbs and dialysis. Um, so uh, I've seen all of these, and I've treated all of these patients. Um, so that was why, uh, I focus on that stuff. Also when, when COVID hit and I was taking care of those patients in the hospital, the same pattern emerged that people who are metabolically unhealthy with uh, excessive weight and diabetes did the worst. So I had more urgent uh, need uh, to to you know advocate for for these patients to get better uh, so they don't die end up in the ICU like I was seeing. Yeah, I think that's so critical, and um, I think coming from that clinical perspective, uh, you probably have so much empathy for um, your clients and and trying to find a better way. I hear that a lot from doctors just being frustrated with not being able to help these, these large volumes of people who are coming through with, with similar issues. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because also when you see them in the hospital, it's the last, I mean, the last thing they want to hear when they're so sick is to somebody to, you know, uh, preach about diet. So I don't, it's hard for me to even do that in that setting. So I usually have to wait until they get healthier because you have to, you know, save their lives first and then see what they can do later. So I plant seeds in their minds after they get better and explain it, how they ended up here and how they can turn it around. Uh, but doing that from the hospital setting um, didn't give me the luxury of following people and knowing if they're actually making a difference. I realized that people may understand or hear what they should do, but actually doing it uh, it's, it's a different game and requires a lot of hand-holding and coaching and repetition, uh, like any habit when you try, we try to change. Because I know I struggled myself. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I did struggle uh, to, you know, I do it for a while. I stop, you, you know, you go relapse, you know, it's no different than addiction or alcoholism or anything like that. So, Yeah. One thing I, I see you talk about a lot is habits. Um, and I, I think you make some really great points around habits 
And that can be so critical to some of these changes, you know, willpower motivation only lasts so long. So can you talk about how you, how you help people ingrain habits and the importance of habits with food? Yeah, well, without habits, we we can't function. We have a human human brain depends on habits for high efficiency uh, to make things work uh, automatically, and they serve us as a purpose. So, food is no different. People wake up and eat at the same time every day, and they eat the same food generally every day uh, because it just the, you know, they automated the process. Uh, so. I mean, I explained to them, you know, it requires a little power maybe in the first week or so, but but once you start feeling better, uh, you know, it reinforces this behavior. Um, you, you identify your triggers, what sets you at the, when, why do you go for junk food or whatever terrible food? And you start become more aware of these and take a different route. Um, you're changing your food environment, really making it as easy as possible, um, as as simple as possible. And you have to keep doing it repetitively until it takes hold. And it takes, you know, over a month or two, sometimes three, to, to develop new habits and replace old ones. And you got to see the reward at the end for any habit to stick. And um, most people quit in the first couple of weeks because they feel horrible initially, whether it's carb withdrawal or eating wrong or not eating salt and all these things. So they give up early. So uh, having me there or anybody who coaches, uh, you really get them through that initial uh, phase and then eventually once they start feeling better then the habits kind of take hold Um, so you know there's different tools obviously but that's generally what I do if you're like me carnivore has helped your digestion a lot but you may still have some lingering problems you may have gas bloating may have constipation many people on the carnivore diet still experience some of these things Masszymes is a supplement by Bioptimizers, which can really help. It's an enzyme that improves digestion, reduces gas and bloating, and provides relief from constipation. I take Masszymes most days with my breakfast because as our body ages, it produces fewer enzymes, so it becomes harder to quickly digest and assimilate food, particularly large amounts of fat and protein like we have on a carnivore diet. They're offering a awesome free bundle, which includes a bottle of Masszymes, three free eBooks, and it's only available while stock lasts. You want to go to this exclusive link to take advantage of it. It's masszymes.com slash carnivorecastfree. That's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S.com slash carnivorecastfree, all one word. Check out the link in the notes of this podcast or on my Instagram bio, and thanks for supporting the show. Yeah, that's really smart. I like that point around having that support um, from from a coach to fall back on. That can be really powerful. Or if someone doesn't have a coach, having some form of support network, whether it's you know a group or, or an online community, something like that. Um, and can you talk about like emotional attachment to eating and, and foods? Um, and like you've made some great posts around this. So I'd just love to hear how you think about that. Um, yeah, we all eat, we all have emotional eating at some point, like under stress, excited. I mean, every gathering food is generally a social thing. People gather around it, but also we live in a world with extremely high stress and low level of happiness and people 
don't have all the tools to deal with this. And then they seek food for this temporary relief. Uh, you know, the, I talk about dopamine. I, mean, I didn't come up with this. I mean, it's all this well-known stuff. Uh, dopamine is uh, this pleasure uh, hormone that, uh, you know, it makes you feel better temporarily. The problem is the food that's making you feel better is making you unhealthier and you don't see the immediate result of it. It's all downstream or, or down the line. So, and it, that behavior is always reinforced. Um, so people who start uh, following the advice and quit eating junk, they struggle a lot of times because all of a sudden the tool they were using to deal with their emotions is, is taken away from them. And they may feel more emotionally unstable if they don't develop other means of dealing with it. So I, um, I mean, I help people or direct them to other resources sometimes just to kind of deal with that from meditation to journaling to uh, seeking uh, professional help or psychotherapy um, Emotional eating is 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 a, is a symptom, uh, obviously, of a bigger problem. So sometimes I have to know my limits too, and then uh, guide them in the right way. But the funny thing is, when they start eating better, their emotional health gets better. So it's kind of a catch twenty two. If you eat bad, you get worse. If you get worse, you eat worse. So sometimes you you have to break the cycle. Um, and then doing that and knowing I'm holding them accountable, sometimes they have to. Uh, knuckle their uh, white knuckle their way through it, and eventually uh, they see the light. They start feeling better, and then become more on uh, autopilot. Yeah, that's that's really well said. Um, it can be so hard to break that. And I, I like how you also talk about making sure to replace um, that be the, the like emotional eating with something else. Because to your point, they may be relying on that as a crutch, and you don't want to completely just remove that crutch without having something else um, right. to swap in. Hobbies, exercise, talking to people—you know, uh, journaling, and so many other ways uh, to deal with it. Yeah, and in a similar vein, um, what about food addiction? How, how do you help people with that? Well, food—it's uh, funny that it's debatable. Debatable still. Some people don't believe that exists. But uh, it is, it's, it's real. Uh, we all experience it. Um, you know, uh, food addiction tends to be more heavily uh, about carb addiction and sugar addiction, just for the same reason uh, that uh, emotional eating happens. It's that dopamine uh, hit that people get out of it and the dependence on, on it. And, they, you know, they get the same symptoms of they feel good when they do it. They they uh, they they get withdrawal symptoms when they stop um, eating it, and uh, so becomes they become highly dependent on it. And a lot of times they have to eat it more and more to keep getting the same effect. And then that's how you know obesity develops and other diseases develops uh, along with uh, you know addiction. Also, addiction uh, food addiction happens when people quit other addictions. So if you are a smoker or an alcoholic and you try to quit but you don't address the root cause, you end up replacing one addiction with another. So a lot of people, you know, they quit smoking and they gain 20 pounds and they're because they're eating more. And some people say because cigarettes are appetite suppressants, um, you know, I, I think that might be true, but also people replace one addiction with another. So you, you quit smoking, you deal, you start eating more of something that gives you the same uh, reward or at least close and same with alcohol. And I, I've worked with clients who admit, okay, they quit drinking and then all of a sudden they 
they went for food and you, they quit carbs and now they start uh, eating a lot of nuts and cheese. So even they can have food addiction on, on good food. Um, it's whatever gives them that emotional uh, temporary relief. Yeah. It gets back to that switching out um, that, that loop and having something to replace it. Uh, I think that's a great point. And how about um, exercise and how it works or doesn't for fat loss? Yeah. Uh, people, uh, so a lot of people, they want the easy answer, which they think they can eat what they want and they go burn it off and then be good. Um, well, except in reality, it rarely ever happens unless you're, you know, an extreme athlete who lives in the gym and, um, constantly running and it's very hard to maintain uh, good weight by simply exercising. Um, so you have to address the, the, the root cause. So the root cause is not lack of exercise. The root cause is uh, overconsumption of food that are uh, make you gain weight, uh, particularly highly processed carbohydrates, sugar, because uh, they work on the insulin side or horm other hormones that lead to that tell the body to store fat. So it's not simply calories, uh, high calorie, although it does end up being as such, but, uh, you know, eating a hundred calories from steak is different than eating a hundred calories from cookies. And I explained that to them. And, um, so, uh, uh, so they have to pay attention that exercise is healthy. It makes you, you need to be strong. You need to have good muscles. You need to have, uh, it helps your mood and helps with many aspects of your health, but it's not going to help you uh, lose weight to, a, to a, a big degree. It does, however, help with insulin sensitivity. When you have more muscle, you have a bigger sink for sugar and carbs because muscle stores a lot of glycogen, which is uh, basically glucose molecules that are connected together and used as fuel by the muscles. So that in that part, it helps, but eating badly and try to burn it off, it doesn't work. Yeah. And I'm curious, how have you been received by like some of your colleagues in the medical industry, taking this different approach to helping people? You know, people don't say much. Uh, I wasn't very vocal about it in the hospital. Uh, my friends and colleagues knew how I lived in and they may tease me or, or so I've influenced a lot of them indirectly. A lot of them, they would try differently, cut out junk, uh, do fasting, things like that. So I know a lot of people have taken a healthier approach, but, um, and I haven't been, you know, told not to practice uh, my way because, you know, I, I kind of struck a balance, but uh, I'm not sure if that's affecting their uh, practice uh, and how they, you know, approach health with their patients. So, but for the most part, um, it's well received. Yeah. And do you think, um, like the health, I don't even want to say health system, but like the way of the future and people getting healthy is going to move more towards this approach? Or do you think there will be an overhaul within the medical system? Like, what do you see is how, how it will evolve? I'm not very hopeful that the change is going to come from within the system. Uh, but that goes for any, uh, uh, you know, thing in life. Usually it takes people from the outside or people who stepped out of the, uh, uh, mold to, to make the change. Uh, and luckily a lot of people and patients are waking up themselves and okay, well, I mean, this is not working. We've got to do something different. 
and they're seeking out information themselves. But the uh, from the inside, it's that means a lot of politics. It's a lot of control from uh, the pharmaceutical company and the food industries. Uh, I mean, you just have to go to the hospital and look at the vending machines and what type of food these patients get to understand that there is no way they're going to get healthier from eating that stuff. Uh, so I, w- I hope one day things will change, but it's going to take a generational change and uh, a lot of people in charge right now to, to change either their mind or they kind of move on and uh, other people who have the right mindset to, uh, to change things. But when you're healthier, you can't sell uh, you can't sell it in a, in a pill. So, uh, you know, not to be uh, cynical, but, uh, you know, pharmaceutical company are in the business of making money. And, you know, so if, if people are healthy, they don't take drugs. And I take people off drugs all the time, especially diabetes medicine, blood pressure medicine. So that's not in their best financial interest. Uh, I don't think anybody means harm. They're in, in the business to make profit, but uh, that's what ends up happening. Yeah, that's interesting. And um, how about like children? Do you think like there's so many problems with how we feed our kids and and uh, like school lunches and um, you know marketing to children? How how do you see that changing? And um, like, what advice would you have for for how we should feed our children too? It's the hardest. I mean, the biggest opportunity is to work on kids because first of all, kids don't get to choose a lot of times what they're eating. So I tell people about always the time about taking responsibility and being, uh, you know, take charge of their own health. But kids, uh, they, they don't do that. They, they don't understand. You just have to uh, tell them what to eat or not expose them to the, to the, to the bad food. But there's no different that because of the dietary guidelines, food and uh, schools are just as bad as hospital food. And uh, and these kids, poor kids, they're addicted to this stuff and they don't know that. Um, so from juice and misconceptions too. I mean, parents do their best. They think they're, they're doing a right, good thing for their kids to, you know, uh, they may understand soda is bad, but, they, but then they have them, give them all kinds of juice, which is just as bad, if not more sugar than soda. And then there's no real food. Everything's coming out of boxes and junk food. Um, so it's a big responsibility on families and parents to uh, want to take care of their own health, but also help their kids get healthier because obesity in, in children right now is, is, is really sad. And you, you see type 2 diabetes as young as three years old, where it used to be a very uh, a disease of old age. Uh, so definitely it's not genetic. This is something uh, the food environment is, is causing. And um, I have no, no idea what public health would do about this stuff. Uh, there's a big war on meat and, uh, you know, uh, and it's not like they're feeding them good vegetables. They consider, um, you know, ketchup vest- uh, vegetables. So <laughs> the, the bar is set so low that... Um, it's gonna it's gonna fall on parents to really uh, dictate how their kids eat and drink. Yeah, there's giant responsibility there, and um, I think you're right that focusing on children is probably the most important thing we can do. Um, how has how has your own um, personal diet evolved, Doctor Jeruj? Um, like from a, a standard American diet to like what what do you eat today? Uh, it went from standard American diet, 
to uh, I did whole thirty paleo. I did uh, ketogenic traditional way, uh, very high fat, low carb, and then I switched to carnivore diet. I did hundred percent carnivore. And now I uh, kind of, uh, and along the way, I kind of like certain aspects and didn't like other aspects. So right now I'm mostly, I would say 80% animal based on the carnivore side with the 10, 20% of uh, other, you know, could be vegetable or fruit. Um, you know, I eat a high protein, very low carb, and I would say moderate fat uh, diet. And I just intuitively eat when I'm hungry. Uh, I, don't, I don't push it if I'm not, I'm hungry for, I generally eat one or two meals a day. Uh, I don't force myself to eat or not eat just however I feel like today I haven't eaten yet. And it's 2 PM probably will have one meal. Um, yesterday I had two meals. So, uh, but I always have protein with every meal. Most of it is, uh, it's always animal protein. So. Yeah, it sounds like an excellent approach and, and similar to myself and a lot of uh, people I, I speak with. Um, yeah, just focusing on animal protein can just be such a huge win for so many people. Um, and it sounds too good to be true and people try to overcomplicate it, but it really is um, that critical. And they don't eat enough protein. Every single patient I work with, they uh, the, the biggest obstacle for them to remove bad food is to eat enough protein. Because when they remove the bad, if they're hungry, they have to eat more. But they have the stigma about too much meat or too much whatever. Uh, so it takes them a while to come come around and start eating more to get full, so they don't have to, uh, you know, will their way uh, into eating low carb. So it makes it much easier to stick to the plan when you're not hungry. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And um, speaking of hunger, uh, what is your, t- I know you said you, you followed the work of Dr. Jason Fung. So I'm curious to hear uh, what your approach is with fasting and if you encourage it for your clients as well. Yeah, absolutely. I encourage it. Uh, but the, the caveat, I, I advise against it when they first start, because a lot of people come to me, it's like they hear about intermittent fasting and they go from eating all the bad food to quickly trying to fast and they crash and burn. It's extremely hard to fast when you're not uh, metabolically flexible, which means if you only run on carbs for energy, when you you know start fasting, you run out of that fuel quickly and you're supposed to dip into your fat stores. But when you're not adapted to that, uh, it becomes very hard. People get hangry and irritable and, and they binge eat after that. So I, I try to help people get more fat, adapt, fat adapted by uh, eating low carb, but also eat regularly fat and protein. And as they get comfortable with the idea, then start, they naturally start getting less hungry. So uh, fasting becomes more, uh, much easier, especially skipping the first meals a day um, and then waiting until they get hungry. And then I use that as a tool too. Some people are getting stuck doing all the right things. Sometimes you do longer fasting. So I use that a lot. Um, you know, to deal with diabetes and obesity uh, stalls. Yeah, it sounds like an intelligent and measured approach. Um, and you mentioned, I'm just thinking back to something you mentioned earlier, how by focusing on type 2 diabetes, you end up covering a lot of other conditions. Can you give some examples of how, um, like, focusing on the health improvements there has helped your patients 
your clients in other ways? Yeah, a lot of these patients come in, they say they're overweight or they have type 2 diabetes, but they also happen to have high blood pressure, acid reflux, PCOS, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, a lot of headaches, anxiety, uh, skin conditions. I mean, you see all the whole you know, number of uh, conditions uh, lumped together and you, they think they have all these separate diseases, uh, but once they understand they're all related in the same problem, uh, addressing the, the food part will start fixing all of them. So people come for diabetes and to lose weight, but all of a sudden the, the headaches disappear, migraines, they, they don't have acid reflux uh, symptoms anymore. Uh, their skin clears up, their acne clears up, uh, you know. So a lot of stuff started improving. Fatty liver goes away. Um, so, so that's that's the nice thing about it. And it's very exciting to see all these diseases disappear. Uh, when people uh, fix their uh, food. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. That um, is something I've seen a lot. I think it's interesting, like Verta Health, um, the company yeah. that focuses on um, scalable type 2 diabetes intervention, uh, they've seen so many other great benefits with, with their um, patients, which is awesome. Absolutely. Um, great. Well, Dr. Jerush, it's been a pleasure. Um, where can people find out more about you, follow you, get in contact with you if they want to? Yeah, I'm, I have a website, uh, metabolichealthmd.com. Uh, they can learn more about me there, about my programs. If they want to, if they're considering uh, doing coaching with me, they can schedule a 20 minute uh, free call with me on the website and uh, I will talk and then decide if, if that's a good fit or not. I'm active on Twitter. Uh, my handle is uh, Elijah Rouge MD, all connected. And on Instagram, Eli underscore Rouge. Uh, so I, I try to tweet regularly and post on Instagram. And it's been very helpful for, uh, for people. So they can find me there, reach out from my website uh, or on social media. Fantastic. Well, I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much again for your time today, Dr. Jerush. It's been oh, great. Great. Thanks, Scott. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out and share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered or who would you like to hear from in the carnivore research community? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CarnivoreCast or go to CarnivoreCast.com. You can also email me at info at CarnivoreCast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.